This time of year, we always do a little series um, that um, I guess we call it a certain thing behind the scenes, but essentially it's kind of a series, maybe a a going deeper series or um, just trying to help you to grapple with some things, give you some tools to grapple with some things yourself. Um, And Denise started us off last week brilliantly, uh, get the podcast if you didn't get it, it was really, she's funny man, that's good, and uh, just talking about, you know, what does real a spiritual life really look like. And uh, basically this series is trying to give you, uh, hit a few topics that help you really grapple with how you really become uh, a fully devoted follower of Christ. And uh, there's a, in the book there's a kind of a really useful page right at the beginning which tells you kind of what spiritual development looks like or some of the things that are involved in it. And I just want to tell you three things that are involved in um, your walk with Jesus if you want to grow. Um, first thing, personal growth um, is essential. Okay? It's not optional. So we, we, we try all the time to help you, but especially in a series like this, we try and really get you to take responsibility for some things yourself where maybe you aren't at the moment. Because growing with Jesus is essential. It's not something that's optional for the better Christians. It's open to you all. Um, secondly, um, you know, Growing with Jesus is a process, it's not an event. You won't come here one day and we've got a new song and suddenly you know everything. Someone won't pray for you after church and suddenly you're just great. There is a, there's a process at work for everyone who follows Jesus, everyone who's trying to find God. There's a process at work. Slowly we learn stuff, we, we, we have trouble and we stumble and then we get better and we get back up again and it's a process. Uh, and finally, um, growth with Christ is God's work but involves our participation. So it, in some ways, you know, God does so much, and we just have to travel a little way, but it does involve you um, taking responsibility for something. So that's why we're kind of doing a series like this. Um, so today I want to talk to you about something that's just so key um, in your relationship with Jesus. If you, if you begin to get a, a firm grip with both hands on this kind of issue on this um, topic, it will begin to change everything for you in every single part of your life. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is grace. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a while, you might think you know what that is and you're going to switch off maybe a little bit or you're going to straight away go to your definition of it. I just want to ask you, just to, wherever you're at, if you understand what I mean by the word grace, you've been around churches a lot, you have no idea, just, just come at this with a blank page and let's just have another look at this topic of grace and, and see what the Bible teaches and see um, what maybe we need to um, pick up again or pick up for the first time or just understand. Let me just pray and just uh, ask God to help us get this. Uh, Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you for your free gift to us of life, Lord. And... Um, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit that you would help us to, today to, to see again or to see for the first time your, your grace, Lord, your unmerited kindness towards us. Holy Spirit, you know, your word says that you take the, the Father's love and you, you pour it out into our hearts. And I pray for that this morning, Lord, that we would receive again your grace and your love poured out into our hearts, Lord. Amen. Amen. So I want to uh, 
I want to take one of my favourite, all-time favourite moments in Scripture, which is this beautiful, wonderful, really quite compact story of grace. And I just want to, I want to just, we're going to read it, we're going to talk a little bit about it, uh, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves, okay? But this really is one of my all-time favorite Bible stories. And it's in a book that you might not visit a lot, you, maybe you've read it, maybe you've heard of it a bit, um, maybe not, but if you've got a Bible or iPad or iPhone, wherever you're at, um, please would you mind turning to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9. And we're going to look at the first kind of 13 verses of that story. Let me give you a little bit of background so that you understand this story. Okay? Um, Israel are God's chosen people on the earth. God has taken this nation and decided, I'm going to be with you, you're going to be with me, and you're going to be the example of what it looks like for a nation to follow God. Um, Israel have had good days and bad days, and at some point they've looked at all the other nations around them, and they've said, all these other nations, they have a king, they have this figurehead. And they go to God and they say, God, we want a king. And God says, you know, this isn't going to go well if you have a king. And that's not, my, that's not really a good idea. I'm your king. And they say, no, we really want a king. God says, you know, I'm not sure. And eventually God in some way relents or has grace for them and gives them a king. And the king he gives them is this guy called Saul. Now Saul begins to, as a great king, actually, we're told that he is um, handsome and wise and strong in battle and that women love him. Um, you might want to picture me if that helps you. Um, just uh, that he's a fine figure of a man. Not ginger. There has never been a ginger king. Yet. They have King Saul. They give him this king, and he's great at first, but slowly as, as time goes on, he begins to dis- disobey God and he, he takes a couple of missteps here and there. And, and what we're told in scripture, and I'm shooting through so much history here, but um, we're told that actually God begins to lose heart with Saul, begins to take his presence, his favor, his backing, if you like, away from Saul. And he tells this other guy, Would you go and anoint? another person as king, and he ends up anointing David. Now, you'll know, if you know anything about scripture, David, one of these great kings, but at the time that Saul is king, David's just like a, a, a boy, and God says, go and uh, you know, anoint David as king, and for a while, you have this weird relationship going on in the world where Saul is the king, but David is actually, in God's eyes, the king, and begins to receive God's backing and favor, and slowly, you know, David begins to become really prominent, and you have this real friction time where, where Saul actually begins to hate David and begins to, at different points, trying to kill David. Thrown into this mix at the same time is um, Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan and David just, just click. We're told that straight away, as soon as they, they meet each other, there's just this bond of love is kind of brought between them. They're just best mates. They're just in the thick of it together in battle. And when they're not at battle, they're just the closest companions you could get. Jonathan, the king's son, and David. And uh, there's a moment in scripture where Jonathan says to, because he knows that Saul's trying to, his dad's trying to kill David. And he says to David, look, I need you to promise me that when Saul dies, or when I die, I want to pro- you to promise me that you will Show favor to my family. 
And he actually, the words he says is, I, I, he asked David, Jonathan says to David, I want you to show the faithful love of the Lord to my family when Saul is off the scene and when I'm off the scene. And David makes this promise. He says, I'll do that. I'll show the faithful love of the Lord to your family, Jonathan. And it's into this moment that we read our scripture. And at this point, Saul is gone. At this point, Jonathan is gone. And David, everything is going amazing for David. There's lots of gold and silver in the bank. Things are thriving. Other nations are at bay because Israel is so powerful and so strong. David is just riding high, sitting in his palace, has the favor of the people, all the money, the favor of God with him. And then that's where we read our scripture. So, uh, to Samuel, and it should come up on the screen. So we're going to read verses 1 all the way to 13. Now, there are, before I read this, I should say there are some difficult words in here, which I'm just going to bluff my way through. Okay? And you need to just go with it. Okay? One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he summoned a man called Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, Ziba replied. And the king asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, and he is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Emil. Doing all right. So David sent, him, sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. We got it. Whew. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that you once that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show him such kindness or show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Zebra and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family, and you and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Zebra replied, Yes, my lord, the king. I am your servant, and I will do as you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants, and Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. This story is just amazing. This story of a king and a cripple. 
Uh, and this, we're going to look at some of the interplay between these characters and some of the stuff that, some of the amazing stuff that David did that we can maybe miss because we don't understand what's going on. But really, this story is also about you and me, and we'll get onto that in a minute. So, David says, Where is Saul's family? I want to show them kindness. And one of Saul's assistants says, There is one, there's one son. He's in Lodabar, a place which means no pasture or desolate land. He's in Lodabar, and he's crippled in both feet. And David basically, to cut a long story, so it says, get him here, bring him here. So he sends people to get Mephibosheth, this crippled ex-enemy, if you like. You see, um, David does something amazing here. And we miss it, or we can miss it. You see, David didn't have to show kindness in this moment. You see, the tradition in those days, when a new king defeated an old king, the new king made the old king dead. It's just one of those things you do. You take over an empire, a country, an area, you would kill the leader. You would kill his warriors. You would just try and disable every single chance that they could ever rise up and retaliate. So in this moment, there is a, <laughs> just this weird twist, because society, the way the culture was, when a king rules, the, the king that was previously warring against him, if you like, someone who was trying to kill him, the moment you assume power, you reshuffle things a bit. But in this moment, something else goes on. David does the opposite. David doesn't look to wipe out all the relatives of Saul. And you've got to wonder, when, when, when he first asked Ziba, uh, is there anyone left? And he kinda, he's a bit vague. He, said, he doesn't use the name Mephibosheth. He said, there is a son, and he's somewhere in Lodabar. And you get this almost that Ziba's thinking, he's going to kill him. If I tell him where he is, if I tell him who he is, he's going to kill him. But David does this amazing thing. He shows kindness. He shows grace. And you see, David is a king at this point in Israel, but David is different from other kings. If you know, if you read the Bible, we're told that David is a, is a, is a man whose heart is after God or is, is like God, that there's something about David. I mean, he slips up a little bit later in his life, but there's something about him. He's God's king. And his intention with Saul's family, because of his promise he made to Jonathan, is I will show him the kindness of the Lord. He's different. And what, what David actually is, is something that in, this, in, the, in the Old Testament, there are these different individuals that we call prototype saviors. We don't call them that, but theologians do, and we read their books. And uh, basically, these are people who, who have something about them. They have an essence of the saviour who would come. That David, in some of the things he does, has, is a picture of what Jesus would do. There's a picture of what God is like in David's life. And this moment here with Mephibosheth is it. That David, where he could have struck them out, he could have exiled them, he could have done harm, he actually chooses to bless this former family, this former group who were warring against him, if you like. And he does the unthinkable. He does the absolute unthinkable. Not only does he not kill him or exile him, but there's kindness. And not only that, actually, he, he, he ends up giving him back status. 
He says, he says, he gets him in there and he says, look, whatever land Saul had, and Saul was the king. Do you realize how much land a king has? He says, whatever land Saul had, whatever land Jonathan had, I'm giving it back to you. He takes Zeba and his servants, and we're told um, that there's, there's just tons of them. There's 50 sons and 20 servants. He says, they're going to be your workers, and we're going to get them to work the field for you so it produces crops and income for you. So he gets Mephibosheth in, shows him kindness, gives him land back, and then does something even more extraordinary, even more amazing. He gives him a place at the king's table. Now, we can miss this. If we rush on by too quickly, we will miss this. Back in in King David's time, back in the time of Jesus, to eat with someone was a sacred thing. To eat with someone was to show them acceptance. To eat with someone was to allow them into your family. To eat with someone is to give them a level of intimacy that not everyone gets. So when he says, Mephibosheth, I want you to come and eat, you have a place at my table. The king is doing something amazing here. Something just unspeakable. He's saying, you, my former enemy, you, your family tried to kill me. You showed hatred toward me. I'm going to bless you. And more than that, I want you as part of my family. I want you close. I want you to eat with me. What gra- this is a picture of grace. A picture of a king who, although he's been done wrong by this person, although he has the right to, to show hatred and be angry and to strike out he shows grace and he he brings him closer this is an amazing moment have you ever received grace like this have you ever had a moment where grace has been shown to you where actually there could have been harm or something else for you changes you I was uh, in a sweet shop in 1986 and uh it was Terry's sweet shop. It was a sweet shop on my way to school, still at junior school at this point. And Terry was great, rotund kind of sweet dealer, you know, and uh, just really nice guy. And he was always like, you know, happy and everything. And I used to go in there every day and spend, he used to have one of those counters. Do you remember, they never had these anymore. Perspex counters with the sweets underneath. Oh. And uh, I used to go in there every day and spend my few pence. One day I was in there and I asked him for a quarter of cola cubes. You remember? And they were up on the shelf. So as he was up on the shelf, I leant over and I stole a load of sweets. Stealing's fun. Don't recommend it. But I, my friends were doing it and I thought, oh, I'll do it. So anyway, I, I, I leant over and I grabbed a load of sweets, I think some like, karate belts and uh, like some of those bananas and stuff like that, and, and put stuff in my pocket and try to look really normal, as you do. And Terry turned around and said nothing. And uh, I thought, got away with it. I am a cat burglar. I'm the world's first ginger master thief. And um, carried on. A couple of days later, I went to the shop. Terry pulled me aside and said, I saw you the other day. You stole from me. And I, as all children did, you know, went, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. He said, no, I saw you. I don't know. He must have had some sort of mirror system set up by the cola cubes for this very kind of thing. And uh, 
And he said, why would you do that? And I said, you know when you do. Actually, when you're a child, you just want to run, don't you? You get into trouble. I was was just like, run! Everything in me was like, run! Just all the way home. But I didn't. And he said, I'm really disappointed in you. And he gave me a little bit of telling off, said, don't ever do that again. And I was like, okay. Thought, got away with it. The following week, I'm in there with my mum. I'm in there with my mum. And I am like, oh, I don't really want to go to Terry's. <laughs> Trying anything. And eventually my mum drags me into Terry's. And um, I'm just waiting for it. I'm just waiting for the, you know, the waiting for him to tell my mum and then waiting for my mum to tell my dad and waiting for my dad's hand to hit my butt. And, uh, and Terry just said nothing. And he smiled at me and he smiled at my mum. And he actually said, you know, your son, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. And I walked out of there and I thought, brilliant. Score, got away with it. Something was just like, what was that about? To be shown kindness, and more than just kindness, but, but grace, you know? That he recommended me to my mother, like she needs it. What this weird moment, and I just felt, yeah, a bit of guilt, but also just, just, just happiness, just like amazement at this guy. And here in this story, we have this moment where the king has caught this guy, this relative. He's there, he's in the sights, and he has every right to do whatever he likes, but he doesn't. He shows kindness, he shows grace. This is a wonderful story in scripture. This is such a beautiful picture of grace, of what Jesus has done for us. But this is a picture, it is a story about you and I. You see, you and I, our family, fought against God. You might not think that. You might, there's no relatives who said, you know, we had a fight with God once. There's nothing like going. But scripture tells us that you and I, we were all enemies of God, that we were all estranged from him, set against him. That you and I, the stock we come from, is from people who fought against the king. And just like this story, the king has every right to reprimand us, to strike out at us. It says in Romans, actually, if you can put the next screen up, it says this in Romans 3, no one is good, not even one. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have gone wrong. Not one does good, not even one. Now, I don't know when you read that. I read that and I think, not even one? The Bible says that actually... There's not one of us who does what is right. You know, and this goes against us because we think that we're, we're good people who occasionally do bad things. But actually the Bible says that we're bad people and occasionally we do okay things. That you and I, before Jesus, if we do not have Jesus, we are still estranged from God. We're still enemies of God. We're still part of a dynasty, a family that fought against him. But we're lucky that God does not repay evil for evil. And in this story, if God is like, or if Jesus is like David, you and I are Mephibosheth. I don't know how you, think, how you feel about that. You might think, well, I'm not helpless, I'm not a cripple. But I'm here to tell you this morning, on my last day with a parting blow, and this isn't me being bitter, you are cripples. <laughs> you are useless. And you are stuck. You're helpless. It says in Romans 5, 
Let me just read that. Yeah. Can you have the next screen? It says in Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person. Though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While you were still in Lodabar, while you were still in a desolate place, while you were still estranged from God, God in Jesus came looking. God in Jesus came to show you kindness. To bring you back close. You were helpless. Now, just a quick kind of test for you. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, or even if you're not actually, but no one has ever become a Christian without admitting their weakness, that they're helpless. No one can become a Christian until they get to that point of, I am lacking something and I need something else. I want to ask you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, how helpless do you feel? I want to ask you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, how weak do you feel? Because I have this thing, and it's evidenced in my own life, and I see it in scripture, that the, actually the, the stronger we feel, the less we feel like we, 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 we are helpless, the less we cling on to grace, the less we are close to Jesus. And maybe you're a Christian, you're doing all the right things, you're ticking all the right boxes, but there's a distance between you and God, and I wonder if you've forgotten, if you've forgotten that actually there's a helplessness in you. Maybe again, you need to ask yourself and take an honest look at your life and go, actually, is there weakness in me? And there will be weakness in you. In your family, are you showing a weakness? In your business? In your worship? Just in in the essence of who you are? Is Is there a brokenness that you're trying to cover up with a million different things? Please don't carry on trying to cover it up. Please don't try and butter it over with other things. When we were utterly helpless, Jesus came for us. Admit your weakness. If you're going to grow with Jesus, if you're going to find out what God wants you to do and do it, you have to admit the weaknesses you have. You have to admit your shortcomings. You have to admit that you can't do everything, or most things. And you have to lean onto grace. That God's kindness will help. That God's kindness will draw you close. That God's kindness will restore to you the things you need. That God's kindness will actually draw you near. I think of King David. I think of him breaking the rules and having Mephibosheth at the table. And you've got to realize that the rest of the the people at this table are David's family. All the high kind of ruling people some of hardened warriors who fought against Saul's family. Dignitaries in fine clothes and who can speak right and eat well. And here comes Mephibosheth, carried in. And he's placed at the table. And you've got to wonder the, the, the sniggering. You've got to wonder the shame that King David took on for a while. There's people said, what is David doing? The king has flipped. Other people on the table angry that Mephibosheth is there at all. 
And I, I look at this story and I see David was willing to carry shame, was willing to suffer gossip and rumors about him to show grace. And then I look at Christ and I look at the cross and I realize that Jesus was willing to bear shame. That Jesus was willing to suffer, to be misunderstood, to show us grace. That Jesus lives a perfect life, a perfect life, but suffers a criminal's death. That Jesus lives a life of strength, but on the cross takes on weakness. That Jesus, who always knew where he was, always knew what he was doing, always always knew his father, is now to a cross and cries out to his father, why have you forsaken me? That actually Jesus' place on the cross gets taken from him and offered to you. And I just go, the, the grace, the grace of God. There is nothing, hear me, nothing that we have done that has made us right with God. It is the life, death, and resurrection of the perfect Jesus Christ that gets us into God's presence. And just like Mephibosheth, we're not saved just so we can muck around in the corner somewhere, just so God's just done it, but now he's not really interested. But just like King David saved, showed grace to Mephibosheth and brought him near, God in Jesus brings us near. He brings us close. And if you want to choose to operate in your own strength, in your own actions, if you want to decide this is how I will please God, then what you'll find is you'll work hard and you'll get tired and you'll fail and you will not feel close. But if you will throw yourself on the grace of God. If you'll understand, realize that Jesus has come looking for you, that he's reached out and shown grace to you, then what he'll do is he will bring you close. One more scripture in uh, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Grace. Grace is why you're here and how you can stand here. Let me just pray for you. Would you guys mind just standing up quickly? And uh, I'll just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you that, Lord, you've taken us from desolate places where we didn't know you, that even when we're enemies, and you have brought us near, Lord God, you've brought us close to you, that there is now a place for us at your table, that we get to have relationship with you. Holy Spirit, would you help us get this? Lord, I pray that as, as, as life groups and as people study and think about this in the weeks ahead, Lord God, would you reveal it to our hearts, Lord God, that we would get this, that grace would really sink into us. And Lord, as well, where you have graced us, Lord, 
Would you help us to share that out? Would you help us, Lord God, to move in the grace you've shown us with other people? To forgive, to show kindness, to bless when we could curse. Help us to lay down our rights, Lord God, and imitate your grace. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, Rick, you, you preached an absolute blinder there. I think that's the best servant I've ever heard you preach. Give him another clap. That was just awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We want to we send Rick and Zoe and Maylee and, and the little one on its way with a blessing. So I wonder if Maylee's, uh, I wonder if uh, Zoe's in, in the house. Are you, are you in the room somewhere, Zoe? Yeah, she comes. Could she come and join us up here? And Flissy, uh, are you here, darling, or are you um, my wife? Or she helped me out in the kids' ministry. Okay, well, uh, well now, welcome, and tell us about what you're going to do. Uh, I've got this mic, so. Um, we're going to pastor a church uh, over in Enfield. It's called Brigadier Hill Free Church. It's on Brigadier Hill. They couldn't think of a better name. We'll get to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to pastor them. They're a great little congregation. It's actually the, the church where I got saved, um, so I got saved, I stayed there for eight, nine years, we came here, uh, and now we're going back, uh, and I'm going to be their pastor. They've never had a pastor before, um, so they don't really know what to expect, <laughs> um, but they'll find out, so yeah, we're, we're excited. So. And, and Zoe, I want to say that you were always one of my favourite worship <laughs> leaders here, and that's saying something. Are you going to be leading the worship at all, or, or not sure? Probably once the babies come, yeah, but not for a while. Otherwise, I'll be standing like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be great. Too. There's Fliss. Fliss, would you like to come up? And um, I think we've got a, a, some flowers. Are they... Uh, is somebody bringing those? Rich, could you go into the kitchen? And, and I think they were quick, on the Rich. side. Of... Run to Morrison's, Rich, quick. <laughs> Make sure you got the receipt. That's an in-joke. <laughs> that's definitely an in-joke. <laughs> Okay, Flissy, come up here, darling. Right, if you guys want to stand in the middle. You know, uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago when I, I, I just said to you that we would be sending Rick and Zoe out, you know, th there's no doubt about it. We're smiling, we're laughing, but we're, we're crying inside too because we don't just have employees here. We have family and, uh, you know, it's, it's a poignant moment. You know, we don't just work together. We, we share our lives together and... Uh, you know, it's been, it's been great. And God bless you, and thank you for all that you've brought, and the smiles, the humor, Rick. You know, it's definitely a gift of yours, and, and we've really appreciated that. But the other thing about this church, if, you're in, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you'll know that this is what we do. This is what we do. Over the years, uh, and we, I, Fliss and I actually had dinner last night with Mark and Amy Bevis, the chairman of our board of trustees, and we, we were depressing ourselves almost, telling about all the stories about the people who came and got trained up and built up and sorted out and then sent out, and it's always a wrench, but it's what we do. We, we gather, we grow, we give. And even, our, even in, in Germany now, there are churches that are being blessed because people there came, were staffers, were home group leaders, were, were, were part of the, the scene here and then got sent out. And so we are committed to this pain. It's good pain. There's bad pain and good pain. 
And so today it's another one of those days where we give away to the wider church our best. And we're giving our best today in, in Rick and Zoe. And so I want you to just join me and to raise a hand. It's an ancient sign of blessing. Even if you're a visitor, would you, would you honor us with this? Just raise a, a sign to the, a hand to these guys. Father, we want to say thank you because you were good to us in giving us Rick and Zoe and Maylee and the baby. Thank you for your generosity in giving them to us. And Lord, we, we kind of give them back to you now, to the wider church, to the Brig Church, where we know they're going to be a blessing, where they're going to train and equip and send. And Lord, I pray that, that Rick and Zoe and the children would have the passion of David that, that heart passion of David. I pray that they would have the wisdom of Solomon. I pray that they would have the courage of Joshua. They would have the strength and stamina of Caleb. And they would have the love and the surrendered heart of Jesus Christ himself. So let your spirit fall upon them. May they know that they go with our blessing and our love, rejoicing in, in the excitement that they feel and looking forward to the fruit that is going to be born in the name of Christ, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. Give them another clap. <laughs> Got a little present for you, Zoe. Now, now, Zoe. What, 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 what? You're going to have to give them back because we've got to do this again at the next service, all right? Okay. Can, I just, can I just say one thing? Just, um, I've got a mic here. Oh, um, just, uh, <laughs> um, thank you, guys. It's been, a, it's been a blast, you know, ups and downs, but pretty much good. But just want to publicly say thanks to you, Chris and Fliss, for taking a chance on us at the beginning. And, and we are literally... Um, grown so much and God has done so much in us the time we've been here and I really nice. thanks mate well, thank you I right. appreciate that cool. well. thank you All right. we've, we've run out of time one last thing to do though as always just to say if anybody would like prayer for anything or everything please go to my right your left and as always, we have one or two words of knowledge, one or two insights that the prayer team felt that the Lord gave them. If there's anyone here who uh, uh, has uh, a problem with nausea, possible acid indigestion or reflux problem, uh, maybe somebody here with a pulmonary, uh, the, or the word pulmonary came to one of the, the prayers, uh, could be related to a heart condition. If that's you, uh, please get prayer. Someone with an ankle problem, possibly a left ankle, and finally someone with a cold sore on the lip or tingling around the lips. If any of these relate to you, please do get prayer because who knows, God might want to do something. Now let's just stand for our final blessing.